guys, welcome back to Unwatchable. My name is Chloe Rodriguez, I am your host. Today's episode is just going to be me. No guests today, but I am very excited for the topic that we're going to discuss. Today we are talking about television in the time of the coronavirus and how shows have adapted their production in order to comply with social distancing guidelines. So I have a few shows and specials that we're going to go over, and then at the very end I will talk a little bit about what I think that might mean for the future of television production. Before we get into that, I just wanted to say hello to all of the new subscribers that I've been receiving. I've been getting more downloads lately and more people following our Instagram page, and I just wanted to say hello and thank you to everyone who's been tuning in lately. I really appreciate every single listener of this podcast, and if you guys could do me a favor and give a five-star rating and write a review, that could really help me out. Tell people about the podcast, you guys, if you're enjoying what you hear. That really helps me out um, to build momentum and build listeners and hopefully one day be able to build this into something much more than it is right now. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are the best. Let's dive into today's topic. Now, most of this episode is going to focus on shows that tape live or in front of a live studio audience considering that most other shows have just ceased production altogether during this time. But there are some examples of sitcoms or table reads or other specials that have been filmed via Zoom or via iPhone during this time, and I will be covering those a little bit later. But first, let's talk about talk shows and live shows. Let's travel back in time a little bit all the way to March 2020, Hard to believe that that was only two months ago. It feels like a bajillion years ago, to use the correct mathematical terminology, a bajillion years. On March 11th, 2020, an article in The Hollywood Reporter announced that New York-based shows such as The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, Late Night with Seth Meyers, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, and Full Frontal with Samantha Bee would cease taping in front of a live studio audience and contain their recorded segments to the stars of the show and just a small crew. The next day, on March 12th, it was reported that some LA-based shows would follow suit, including The Talk, Jimmy Kimmel, and James Corden. This was already a big change for a lot of shows, By simply eliminating the live studio audience, they were eliminating a lot of bits that keep the show alive. For example, talk show hosts like Ellen DeGeneres or Jimmy Fallon rely heavily on audience participation and fill most of their episode with games and other elements of interaction between them and their live studio audience. Once you eliminate that live studio audience, they had to scramble to think of new ways to build in content to the runtime of their show. I think overall, though, most shows were able to adapt pretty well by incorporating more interaction between the stars and the crew. And because they were still filming in their same studio, it still created a general sense that you were watching the same show that you had been watching for years, just maybe with a little bit less laughter in the background. 
And of course, this definitely created some stilted moments. There's this amazing clip that was circulating Twitter a while ago of Whoopi Goldberg (laughs) greeting empty chairs in the audience of The View and interacting with these empty chairs as if there were actually people there while they just played fake audience applause over the clip. It's actually like quite jarring, but hilarious at the same time. But for the most part, eliminating a studio audience wasn't detrimental to these tapings, at least at first, especially for shows where they already incorporated some sort of sidekick or interaction between the producer and the host to begin with. For example, there's a whole clip of Jimmy Fallon doing his first monologue without a late night audience, and it actually goes pretty well because he has his band The Roots there, he has his announcer and sidekick Steve Higgins there, and he is able to rely on the crew to provide laughter for him in between every joke. So for the most part, they're able to play it off, maybe a little bit more off the cuff than usual, but generally keeping within the same tone and format of the show. In fact, according to therap.com on March 16th, 2020, A lack of studio audience actually led to an increase in viewership across the board for many late-night talk shows. In terms of total viewers, The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon added 33% audience increase. The Late Show with Stephen Colbert saw a 21% increase in viewership. And Jimmy Kimmel Live saw a 27% increase in viewership, although it's worth noting that on the night in particular that they were measuring, Jimmy Kimmel's show was guest hosted by presidential candidate at the time, Pete Buttigieg, which may have had some influence in his increase in viewership. Wow, this just reminds me of how different life was in March 2020. Let's take a moment to look back, you guys. In March 2020, we were bonding over the disdain for people hoarding toilet paper. Bernie Sanders was still in the Democratic race for the presidential title. Puzzles were plentiful. Nobody knew how to make bread. And the world was about to be introduced to an enigmatic figure named Joe Exotic. Wow. Anyway, let's skip ahead a little. So things escalated pretty quickly, and within a week, most shows had switched over from taping in their studios with a limited amount of crew to completely filming remotely from their homes. Most New York-based shows made the switch during the week of March 16th, with shows in LA following suit within the next two weeks, which means by the time we got to April 2020, we had already ushered in a new era of television, the at-home or recorded via Zoom era of television. I'm not going to dive into how every talk show has individually adjusted to this, because for the most part, they're doing pretty much the same thing. It is obvious that some hosts have been able to adjust a little bit better than others. For example, throughout the years, Conan O'Brien has proved himself time and time again to be a talk show host who is able to adapt to the changes going on around him, whether that be opening himself up to new forms of media, such as starting his podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, or spending time focusing and expanding on his popular remote segments with his series, Conan Without Borders. 
And overall, his show has adapted really well in the past few years. Recently, he made the switch from an hour-long show to a half-an-hour show and has incorporated a more casual feel, such as switching over to more casual wear rather than wearing a suit every night, and focusing less on his monologue and more time with his guests. His Conan from Home segment started on March 31st, and I think his shows have held up really well. He's not a host who relied heavily on audience interaction or games to push along the comedic bits, which is really useful in a time like this where he doesn't have an audience to feed off of. I think Stephen Colbert has also been able to maintain a pretty good semblance of what his show was. I wasn't a huge fan of his late show to begin with, if I'm being honest with you. But I do get a sense that he's trying, and he doesn't seem to be completely out of his wheelhouse without an audience there. Another person that I wanted to mention really briefly is John Oliver. Last Week Tonight with John Oliver is very different from these shows. It's not a traditional style late night talk show, because it is also a news satire program, and a little bit more along the lines of The Daily Show or The Colbert Report. However, this is a show that I think has been absolutely thriving during the time of the coronavirus. And I think if the show were to continue the way that it is right now without a studio audience, it wouldn't really be missing out on anything. I think because the show is so informational and reads a little bit more like a news show presented in a comedic fashion, we don't necessarily have to have audience engagement to dictate when we're supposed to laugh. And I think John Oliver, as a performer, does a really great job of pushing through and delivering every joke without needing to feed off an audience's energy. And the only real setup that you need for a show like this is a desk for your host to sit at and a monitor so that you can visually display story aids and visual gags, and they're able to do that remotely. For other shows, like Late Night with Seth Meyers, or The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, having a backdrop that looks like the skyline of New York City, as well as comfortable chairs and couches and a desk for your host to sit behind, creates a homey vibe and a comfort to its audience. And it can almost be jarring to have those things taken away. But in the case of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, we didn't really have a lot of those creature comforts to begin with. And so overall, the feel of the show is not greatly affected. The comfort that you're receiving is from walking away feeling more informed on today's political issues than you did when you first sat down to watch. The most interesting part of this whole thing is that we get an insight into who is able to really perform without input from an audience and who is able to adapt technically to the restraints of recording remotely. In order to comply with social distancing guidelines, many talk shows have resorted to interviewing their guests via Zoom and filming their other segments via iPhones or through camera equipment sent to them through their producers. A side effect of that is a recent controversy that Ellen DeGeneres became a part of. In the past few weeks, it's come to light that her writers and producers received a 60% reduction in pay, and many of them were actually left out of work. Since then, it's come to light that she actually hired a non-union tech company to help her tape segments from home, and this has garnered her a significant amount of backlash, specifically from members of her own crew. I think Ellen DeGeneres is an example of a host who has not adapted very well. In all of her segments, she looks very worse for the wear, 
They're kind of sad. It's just her sitting alone in her giant mansion. She's received some backlash for her jokes recently, just kind of being hacky and not that great. I haven't seen so much as a jig from her in weeks. The, the dancing has been sapped from Ellen DeGeneres. Her spirit has broken. She's trying to scare celebrities via Zoom. I don't know how you do that, but someone needs to get down there and check on Ellen. Someone go help her. She's clearly, her her soul has died, okay? This is a lack of audience members to degrade and berate has just left her an empty husk of who she once was. Finding Dory. Find Ellen! Make sure she's okay! Wow, I peaked the hell out of my audio because I was just getting real passionate there, but I'm not gonna cut it because that's important to say. I'm sorry, Ellen. Now, what does this mean for the future of talk shows? How do I think that this will affect talk shows as we slowly move out of our stay-at-home orders and they eventually are able to go back to live tapings? Personally, I think this can only serve to benefit talk shows going forward. Talk shows, specifically late-night talk shows, have been a staple of television since its incarnation. Joe Franklin is actually credited as the first talk show personality. Originally a radio performer, he switched over to television in 1951, creating the Joe Franklin Show. And in the nearly 70 years that the talk show format has been around, people have been very protective of maintaining the traditional style late-night format. However, with the influx of digital media and streaming services, the traditional talk show format has seen a dip in popularity. When you look at content that's popular now, a big driving force for most modern audiences is a sense of authenticity and a sense of really knowing your host, who they are, and what they stand for. YouTube is so insanely popular because it gives you a chance to really get to know the creators on the platform, and it seems far more personal. Instead of wearing a suit and sitting behind a desk, you're made to feel like whoever you're subscribed to is genuinely speaking from the heart and acting as themselves, which is something that millennials and Gen Z really seem to grab onto. I'm going to delve into this a little bit further in my episode next week when I bring on a guest and we talk entirely about the evolution of YouTube and its rise in popularity throughout the years. But when you're looking at how talk shows have had to adapt in the past month, a lot of them have had to take on almost a vlogger or YouTuber style to their format. I think a great example of this is Jimmy Fallon, and I know I've been mentioning him a lot, but that's because The Tonight Show has historically been one of the most influential talk shows throughout television history. But Jimmy Fallon has incorporated an almost family vlogger type of mentality going forward in his at-home segments. His wife has been responsible for a lot of the production of his at-home Tonight Show segments, often running the camera for him. His graphics and artwork that he holds up to kind of transition the show from scene to scene are all done by his daughters, who are, I believe, like six and four. They're very young. And he's incorporated them into almost every episode of his show. They've also crashed a lot of his interviews. There was actually a really funny segment I saw where he's interviewing someone 
I think it was Russell Wilson and Sierra, and his daughter just runs in and is like, hey, I lost my tooth. And then the whole segment becomes about his daughter, like losing one of her teeth. And she starts talking to Russell Wilson and Sierra about how she lost her tooth. And yeah, these segments are really cutesy and are, I guess you could call them unprofessional. But at least it's something different that we wouldn't be able to see if he was still doing this at 30 Rockefeller Plaza. We're getting more of an insight into these hosts' personal lives. We're even getting a little bit of a glimpse into their actual homes. And we're kind of seeing who they truly are when you strip them out of their world of studio lights and professional camera equipment. I also think this is pushing every individual host to find and hone in on exactly what kind of tone works for them. For example, without the ability to do out-of-studio segments such as Carpool Karaoke or Crosswalk the Musical, James Corden has really switched to focusing more on sketches and his celebrity interviews, which I think has helped improve his interviewing skills. And Conan has stopped doing a traditional style monologue and has instead switched over to recording personalized comedy sketches or bits within his home, as well as interacting with his staff members via Zoom. In my opinion, the monologue has always been the weakest part of his show, and it's just interesting to see celebrities now being able to pick and choose exactly what portions of their shows they want to expand upon and which ones they can do without now that they're faced with the difficulty of recording remotely. I'm hoping that this will show that late night talk shows, or just talk shows in general, don't have to stick to a traditional style of formatting, and I hope that this will push them to further adapt and really focus on playing to every individual host's key skills. I think if they are able to do that, it would really reinvigorate the talk show format and be able to adapt it to a more modern audience. And in that way, I think that this could actually serve to be a beneficial push in the right direction for a lot of shows that are kind of struggling to keep up in the ratings. Now, let's talk about a variety slash sketch show, Saturday Night Live. Now, Saturday Night Live is a huge show to talk about in terms of recording via home because it completely goes against the usual format of the show. If you guys are not as familiar with Saturday Night Live, I have an episode all about it where I sat down with my friend Zach and we discussed best hosts, best sketches, just best overall performances we've seen. Uh, Go ahead and look through our archives and find that episode if you're interested in listening to it. But as far as recording during the time of COVID-19, there have been three at-home episodes of Saturday Night Live that have aired in season 45 of the show. It's really interesting to see how things have changed from their first at-home episode all the way to their third at-home episode, how it has grown and changed even in those three weeks. Because Saturday Night Live is usually filmed live, they spend a majority of the week writing sketches, and aside from having to record some digital shorts or commercial parodies, they generally don't have to worry about the actual production of things until Saturday. But now, on top of also having to write sketches, also having to perform sketches, we're seeing the cast members of this season having to adapt and figure out how to film everything themselves as well. Now, I've watched all three episodes of Saturday Night Live at home, and I have to say the first one was definitely the worst. 
It was extremely awkward and clunky and very homemade, but I do have to overall appreciate the fact they are obviously just trying their best. A jump from a pre-recorded talk show where you mainly have to sit at a desk is very different from the jump to a sketch show where you have to figure out how to coordinate props, sets, costumes, and a way of writing the sketch without having other characters physically in the room to interact. I think Pete Davidson was really a standout of that first episode with his Andre 2000 sketch. That was really funny. It's interesting to me to see who is able to adapt well and get more screen time during the quarantine episodes than they ever got during the regular episodes, because Pete Davidson was not featured heavily in Saturday Night Live for the past few seasons, and all of a sudden, he's really getting a lot of buzz around him because of his comedic rap videos that he's been doing during quarantine. The typical production that they've been sticking to is writing sketches with each other via Zoom, each shooting their separate parts of their own sketches with their phone, and then sending those clips off to the editors to get them pieced together. They've also gotten to experiment with post-production effects, which is something that has not been available to them generally, outside of digital shorts and TV Funhouse. A great example of this is their recent What Up With That sketch, where they just went all out with a, a whole mess of effects and like crazy visuals. And they did the same thing for Kristen Wiig's hosting introduction in last week's episode. A great part of this has been witnessing how their editing style has changed over the course of the past few weeks. And whereas their first episode seemed kind of drab and homemade, their last episode, they just kind of went for it and embraced what they could do with post-production. And I think they really learned how to enhance their editing style to get more of the comedy across, which is something that you don't really have at your disposal during live sketch, and actually gives the show a great new, fresh feel. I am a little bit sad that it still seems like Beck Bennett and Kyle Mooney are getting a lot of their sketches cut still, or maybe not being utilized to their fullest, which is unfortunate considering that they started on YouTube with their Good Neighbor sketch troupe. And Kyle Mooney in general has a lot of videos on his personal YouTube channel that feature a lot of crazy edits and visual gags, and I don't see why they haven't utilized him to his full effect during SNL at Home especially when it's been proven that he is able to come out with ideas like that. That might just be my own personal vendetta against the show because I feel like those two are very underutilized. Another benefit for them during this is their ability to get guest stars more effectively. Because every guest star is able to just record their segment on their own time instead of having to fly out to New York and appear at a live taping, they've been able to get people like Charles Barkley and DJ Khaled Brad Pitt and Tom Hanks to pop in for just a short segment instead of having to dedicate their entire night to going and taping. And I think they've been using that to their advantage more as their remote segments have continued. I don't think this is the best way for them to continue to shoot Saturday Night Live, especially because it's very hard to do sketch comedy when the characters in your sketches can't physically interact with one another. But I do think that they've found a way to improve since their first episode. I'm really hoping that this ushers in a new era of digital shorts and a new era in experimentation at Saturday Night Live. 
I'm hoping this leads to more pre-recorded segments in which they are able to utilize their newfound love for editing and special effects, and I'm hoping that this gives them more insight into which cast members are being underutilized. I think Pete Davidson has shown that he can really carry something if need be. Mikey Day is another cast member who I think has done exceptionally well. His dad prank segment was really funny. And I'm really hoping that this helps Beck and Kyle get more of their stuff on the air because it's showing that there's more room to be absurdist and experimental in your sketches. Their season just ended, and when they come back in September, they're hoping to be able to record just like they used to in their live studio in front of an audience. In my opinion, as far as the future of Saturday Night Live goes, I don't think they'll be able to do that right off the bat in September. Just based off of the escalation of things, personally, I live in Los Angeles and our stay-at-home order has gotten extended possibly until August, at least until July. And even though September seems far away right now, I think it's going to sneak up on us. While they may not be able to have a live studio audience, I hope that they're at least able to record segments with one another. And maybe we'll be getting sort of an in-between, where they are still able to utilize their soundstage, still able to record segments in person with one another. However, without a live studio audience, there's really no need to feature a live taping. And so I feel like we might be getting some more pre-recorded sketches from Saturday Night Live in the future. And honestly, that could be really cool, especially when they have the full studio's resources behind them. I think this has been really helpful in showing who is able to really creatively adapt and able to write for themselves, who knows their own voice. There are some really good sketches if you guys want to check them out. I like the Let Kids Drink sketch, I thought that was pretty clever. You can find all of them on YouTube or Hulu if you're interested. Now before I go into my overall thoughts on what I think this means for the industry as a whole, I wanted to talk about sitcoms and special episode tapings that have happened in the past few weeks. A lot of shows have been recording remote specials as a way of raising money for aid for the coronavirus, especially shows that have been off the air for a while. As I'm recording this, it's May 13th, this episode is going to drop tomorrow on May 14th, and in just a few days on May 18th, the cast of Community is going to be reuniting to do a table read, so check that out if you're interested. The cast of Last Man on Earth recently reunited to do a virtual Q&A segment. You can find that on Will Forte's Twitter account if you're interested in seeing it in its entirety. I recently watched a table read done by the cast of Lizzie McGuire, where they all sat down via Zoom and they read the iconic I Want a Bra episode, one of the best episodes of that show. You can watch that uh, on Hilary Duff's Instagram. It'll link to her Instagram TV account. It's really easy to find. Table reads are an excellent idea right now. I think it's wonderful that so many casts are reuniting to do them. It's a perfect way to adapt to the limitations of Zoom, but also give everybody some free entertainment. I think it's a great idea, and it's especially nice to see the cast of shows that have been off the air for a while reuniting and kind of getting to see a piece of history. It almost takes you back in time to when you used to watch that show avidly, and it kind of provides a sense of comfort and makes you think of times where uh, we weren't all scared and hiding and the world wasn't on fire. 
But a cast that reunited and took this a step further is the cast of Parks and Recreation. If you guys haven't listened to this podcast before, I am a huge fan of Parks and Rec. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. I think Leslie Nope is one of the most well-written female characters in the history of television. The show aired its final episode in 2015, and I feel like they take any opportunity that they can to reunite because it seems like they just all love each other so much. They recently did an anniversary reunion at Pally Fest, and it's just truly a cast that I love so much, and I love the love that they have for one another. So I was so excited when NBC announced that they would be putting out a quarantine special edition of Parks and Recreation. This episode was a half-hour-long special that aired on April 30th, 2020. It was directed by Morgan Sackett and written by a select group of the old writers from Parks and Recreation, including the creator Michael Schur, Megan Amram, Dave King, Joe Mandy, Aisha Marar, Matt Murray, and Jen Statsky. The special was filmed by having everybody record their own segments through their iPhones, while Michael Schur and director Morgan Sackett directed them via Zoom. They then cut together all these individually taped segments and spliced them together to make it look like the characters were interacting with each other via FaceTime or Zoom or whatever the grizzle equivalent of that is in Pawnee. I think the great thing about this special is that they addressed the coronavirus and quarantine directly, but were able to apply it to their characters in a realistic way. It's a very simple idea. It's, you know, how would all of these characters from Parks and Rec react to the idea of a pandemic, and how would they survive during self-isolation? And to justify the fact that everybody is interacting remotely, Leslie has started a phone tree type of thing where everyone has to check in on each other. They were also able to figure out a way to have a lot of guest appearances without having that seem out of the ordinary. For example, we still get to see Joan Calamezzo, who has this amazing scene where she's surrounded by these creepy dolls. Uh, we still get to see Purred Happily, because Ben and Leslie are appearing on both of those shows. We get commercial segments that introduce other recurring characters like Dennis Feinstein, Jeremy Jam, and Jean Ralphio! And we also get a really fun tidbit with Tammy too, since Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally are a couple in real life and are obviously quarantined in their house together. They're the only two characters that we get to see actually interacting in person. It wasn't the best plot in the world, but honestly, it didn't really need to be. I think the biggest joy was just seeing everybody back in character again. I think everybody's acting was actually really good, specifically Nick Offerman. He just went right back into Ron Swanson so easily. And I honestly think this was the best way for them to do a reunion. Because of the circumstances, they didn't have to create a huge out there plot that shows where everyone ends up because we already got that in the finale and they didn't really have to do anything extra for the character development so they weren't able to ruin any of the characters or any of the plot lines of the show and then they capped it all off with of course a rendition of bye bye little sebastian just tugs at your heartstring I think the reasoning that they came up with for even the married couples on the show to be kept separate actually made sense. 
And to me, it just personally brought me so much joy. This obviously isn't a sustainable format to film a sitcom in. It's actually funny because back in 2015, there was an episode of Modern Family that was done sort of in this style. Uh, in their season six episode, Connection Lost, they filmed everything entirely through Claire's POV using FaceTime, iMessage, and social media. We entirely saw the episode through the point of view of Claire and her computer screen which is so funny that they thought of doing this like five years ago. There was also a movie that I believe took place uh, entirely via FaceTime called Unfriended. So this has been bouncing around a little bit throughout Hollywood, but it's ultimately never proven itself to be a sustainable way to actually film something in its entirety. I think for a simple concept like this Parks and Recreation reunion, it makes sense and you can do it in a way that's pretty fun. But I don't think this is a sustainable format for a show in general. I think it would be pretty hard to develop the world of a series and the connection between characters if everyone was separated. And that brings me into my speculation about what this means for the future of broadcasting. We've already taken a nostalgic journey through the past. Now let us look to the future into the unknown, into a life forever changed. Will we ever see two characters make out in a hot tub again? Will a multicam sitcom ever be made possible with a studio audience? Or will we all finally succumb to an across-the-board single-cam format? And will Ellen ever dance again? Oh, please, someone answer! Will Ellen ever dance again? Well, here's what I think. Things have changed so quickly in the past two months, and as quickly as those things changed, I think in order to fully get back to where we were before, it's going to take a very slow and steady process, if we ever get back to where we were again. This isn't a completely unique opinion. This is what people have been saying across the board. I'm not saying anything revolutionary here, but I agree. Now, I need to preface this with saying that there is a difference between what I hope will happen and what I think will actually happen. What I hope happens is that this makes people look at the content that they're putting out differently and makes them more open to new creative paths and more willing to adapt to the new digital era. Like I said before when I was talking about talk shows, there's nothing wrong with having a traditional medium of television, but there is something wrong with being resistant to change. And I'm hoping that this pushes network television to becoming more adaptable, more flexible, and more willing to embrace the digital era in a realistic way. And I think that this needs to happen outside of the talk show or variety show format as well. I think especially when you're looking at network sitcoms, network sitcoms have been having a really hard time in the past few years as people have become more prone to watching shows created by streaming services. And a lot of network sitcoms are seen as older or maybe not as fresh and funny. The censorship restrictions placed on network television have a huge role in this, as well as their commercial breaks. 
Not to mention that most households have switched over to an all-streaming-service-based way of receiving their content and don't even watch live TV at all. I'm 25 years old, and I personally watch things on my Roku. I don't have access to network television or cable. Even my family. My mom is in her 50s, and she's doing the same thing. She's completely converted over to streaming. And a lot of network shows don't even start to gain traction until they are available on platforms like Netflix or Hulu. But I think the table read idea is something that could be used by network television, or really any other sitcom in general, as a way to generate buzz around their shows. Technologically speaking, it's not that much of a hassle to set up a Zoom recording for a large group of people. And depending on how long the runtime of your show is, you're only looking at reading for a half an hour to an hour. The Lizzie McGuire table read only took about 45 minutes. I think if shows were able to air that week's episode and then the following week do a table read of it, people who don't have access to network or cable would be able to still receive content from the show that might get them intrigued and might make them actually start to watch it. A lot of network shows are available online on those networks' websites, but a lot of people don't bother. Or maybe it would encourage people to start watching it when it's available on Hulu and Netflix, because people are starting to pay attention to the popularity of those streams more and more. Bob's Burgers has been utilizing this for a few years now. They've done a lot of live shows where they do a table read with the whole cast, and those events sell out all the time. So there's definitely a demand for it, and it's something that can easily be done via Zoom, as we've just found out. That's a great promotional tool for a show. And it doesn't have to be limited to sitcoms. I believe that this is something that talk show hosts could definitely do. Any show that really wants to take advantage of interacting with their fans could easily tape a Q&A on Zoom and make it available for people to view on Instagram television or their website. And it can really help you gain an audience and help people understand who you are and feel like they're having more of a personal connection to you because like i said that's what people are getting out of youtube that's why people like watching youtube so much and i think doing virtual table reads or virtual q a's can really help people cultivate a relationship with their audience directly and in that sense might help them keep up with the digital era that's what i'm hoping for i'm hoping that people use this as an opportunity to adapt I think the reality is that right now, people don't really know what to do, and we don't have a definite timeline of when we'll be back on track. I think everything will start slowly, and I think once people are able to reconvene in a studio space, we're going to see everything happen in stages. Talk shows might do what they were doing before, where they start to film with a smaller crew and not have a live studio audience, and I think that means a lot of shows are going to have to reformat. Because a popular trend in so many shows right now is to play games and to have audience interaction, I think they're going to have to majorly reframe how they present their show, and a part of that might be having to shorten their runtime. This is something Conan O'Brien has already done. He's already made the switch from an hour to a half an hour show and created a more casual feel, and I think we're going to be seeing more and more shows follow suit. 
This might even create more of a call for different types of shows. If you're shortening every show a little bit to make up for that lack of audience interaction, you have to think of a way to fill up the time some other way. This means shows are either going to be completely reformatting, we're going to be getting a lot more reruns of shows, a lot of other retrospectives, Kind of like The Bachelor is doing, they announced that they're going to be doing a 10-part retrospective series on their past seasons so that they can fill some more content while not having to film anything new for the time being. I think we'll be getting a lot more of those. It might possibly mean that we'll be getting a lot more shows because they'll have a lot more time slots to fill and new people will be stepping to the forefront and getting things put out there although this is a little bit less likely to me. And I think anything that can be simplified will be. We're really stripping things down and seeing exactly what you actually need to create content, which is something that's been happening on YouTube for years. It's shown us that you can really do a lot of things by yourself, that you don't necessarily need a huge crew to create interesting content for people. And I think this is pushing traditional media to adapt some of those ideals. I'm very interested to see exactly how long this lasts and if we're able to ever really get back to the place that we were in before. The people who are really going to be thriving in this environment are the people who are able to create things for themselves, who can do things for themselves, People who, like YouTubers, can film and edit and write and perform things without using a huge studio or a huge crew. We're kind of stripping down all the pomp and circumstance and spectacle and just seeing what people value as entertainment. I think bringing in a live studio audience is not going to happen for a really long time. I will be really shocked if that happens before the end of 2020. And I think for some shows they will be brought back, but I also think that we might be seeing a bit of a death in the studio audience. If you don't have a studio audience, you can build a smaller studio, you don't have to hire a warm-up comedian, you don't have to worry about feeding that audience, because if you guys have never been to a live taping, sometimes they can extend for hours and hours and you get snacks or food given to you during the middle of the taping to kind of keep your energy up. They could save space, they could save money. It could be more beneficial to eliminate the concept of a live studio audience for a lot of shows. And that's something that I think we're going to be seeing because of this. I know that this podcast was primarily about television. I do think it's worth mentioning that this has definitely changed the movie industry as well. I think specifically because it's further showing that people are willing to watch things on streaming rather than go out to a movie theater. Movie theaters have been struggling for years because of streaming and this really didn't help them. Because of theaters being shut down, a lot of new movies have been released on streaming and they've done exceptionally well. So we could be seeing just the outright death of the movie theater industry. Can you imagine it? A world with no movie theater popcorn. No reclining seats. No having to awkwardly scoot your legs back while the person who's in the same row as you tries to awkwardly shuffle past you while they go to the bathroom in the middle of the movie. Jawbreakers roll through the streets, unattended, 
with no one there to man the concession stand. The horror. The horror. Well, that's enough drama for one day. That's a topic that I can cover in an entirely different podcast. If you guys are interested in hearing me talk about that, be sure to comment on our Instagram or incorporate it into your review down below. If you guys like what you heard today, please be sure to give us a review, give us a five-star rating, follow this on Instagram at Unwatchable with Chloe Rodriguez. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I hope you guys are staying safe and healthy, and I will see you in next week's episode. Thank you. Bye.